if you were a college student living in Washington, D.C., and you wanted to run a marathon, you had exactly, and you didn't have enough money to travel, but maybe you had a, a car you could borrow from a friend or trade for weed. You had four options. This one's radio episode 726 starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey guys, real quick, just a reminder, if you're looking for a good fall race to run, I would love to have you join me in Greensboro, North Carolina on October the 12th, 2019 for the Cannonball Marathon. Or if you want to run the half marathon, that's cool. Or if you want to run the 5K, that's cool too. There's three options, marathon, half marathon, 5K, uh, and I am going to be there probably, good Lord willing, uh, running the marathon and uh, we'd love to you know see you, talk to you chat with you, maybe share a mile or two with you, depending on what races you're doing and, and paces and all that kind of good stuff. But, uh, if you're, if you're up for it, if you're interested in joining me, joining me and, uh, all the, all the other folks that will be there, cannonballmarathon.com is the website, uh, beautiful time of year to be in North Carolina and, uh, weather, you know, hopefully never, never know for sure, but it should be pretty good. Uh, so we'd love to have you join me cannonballmarathon.com. And now let's go ahead and uh, dive in to today's episode of the show. Hey guys, my uh, guest today first came upon my radar when one of y'all actually suggested that I try to line up a chat with her. So, uh, you know, you ask, you ask for people, we do our best to try to get them here. And, and now here we are. So today's guest is a fellow running coach, which is always, I always enjoy talking to other running coaches. Um, and she's always looking for new ways and, and also new mediums to help her athletes and her followers and, and those in the running world to get the most out of, out of themselves, their performance, and obviously just running in general. So from podcast to live streaming, to social media. Uh, this lady is, is just, just pretty much everywhere. Uh, and, uh, maybe even, uh, you know, something for me to aspire to, cause she's on some places that I'm not even really at yet. And I thought I was just about everywhere. So note to self, like what, like Twitch, get on Twitch. Apparently, uh, Twitch is great. Yeah. We'll, oh we'll talk gosh. about that a little bit as we go, but first I have to actually introduce her. You, you heard the voice now. Now let's put a name to the voice. Uh, looking forward to a few easy miles today with, uh, Ms. MK Fleming. So MK, thanks for uh, joining us today and welcome to the show. Hi, it is so exciting to be here. I was, I, I can't tell you how excited I was when I saw your note in my inbox. I had just that day launched my new company and um, I was like, well, this is, this is serendipitous, right? I've, I've been saying all I need is one good podcast, one good podcast, throw me out into the ether and um, then, and then maybe that'll be all it takes to really get the ball rolling. And there you were. Well, let's let's not put the cart in front of the horse. You state you still may need one good pod. You got one podcast, but you may you may still need one good one uh, by the time all is said and done. But guys, if you if you uh, enjoyed today's conversation with MK, you want to find out more about all the things she's got going on, kind of two websites, uh, coachedandloved.com is one, fitnessprotection.com is the other. That's the new company, which again, we'll be talking about as we go. Um, on, on the social medias, on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch, I think if I got this right, all the same handle on all the, all the same places, at Coach MK Fleming. And that's Fleming with one M, not two. So uh, Coach, not the two. letter M, the letter K, F-L-E-M-I-N-G. Uh, and as per usual, I'll have everything linked up in the show notes 
Uh, so if you're out on the go or you're trying to spell Fleming with two M's and it doesn't seem like it's, it's showing up, uh, just head back over to disruns.com slash 726 and we'll have everything linked up right there uh, for, you, for you to connect with MK and, and uh, get your questions answered or learn a little bit or whatever whatever tickles your fancy. You can get it tickled there, disruns.com slash 726. So MK, the way we always start off each episode of the show is with uh, the same opening question. Uh, for some reason, it's been—it's literally been that day, that way since day one. So, 726 times now, I've been asking this this question, uh, and it's just a, a fun place to start the conversation. That's to simply ask, what is your favorite distance to race and why? Marathon. I am a lifelong marathoner. Um, I, and my journey into running, I guess it always has to be said is very different than most other coaches that I meet. I am from a, a very rural part of Tennessee, Smith County, Tanglewood, difficult. <laughs> Those are the towns <laughs> that, that, that are near. And uh, we didn't have a track team or a cross country team and we still don't. So I started jogging with my dad as part of his cardio rehab um, after a quintuple bypass in 1983 when I was six years old. And I'm an early riser. I've been up at 5.15 every morning for as long as I can remember. I am really annoying. So I've been annoying since I was little. And my mom was like, go, go with him. And I get that now. So I would, I would just, we just started running and um, I kept it up. I just, I never had any good reason to stop. And this is, this is a long way of getting to like why I like the marathon. I didn't race for the first time until I was in college. And um, I went to Georgetown in Washington, D.C., which is a really big city. After coming from a really small city, my mom was like, you cannot go running in the city. You can't do it. You can't do it. And funny enough, I, I was attacked uh, twice in, in D.C. Neither time happened while I was running. Um, but I digress. I did. I would go and I would run on the Georgetown track. And this one, one time I was almost finished with my run and the coach was like, you've got to go. And I'm like, please, I have no sense of direction and I'm going to get lost. Please don't let me get lost. I've just got like at least nine more laps. And he's like, well, good Lord, you're here every day. What, what are you doing? Train? What are you training for a marathon? I was like, yes. <laughs> what is that? And we was before the Google. So I had to go to the card catalog in the library and look for, and no one just marathoned at the time. It was either you were a sprinter, you did something that fit into track and field at mm -hmm. the Olympics. You were a triathlete. So my first marathon plan came out of a book on um, Ironman stuff way, way, way back wow. in uh, 1996, but I was hooked and it wasn't a big change. I was already running um, the way that you probably would minus like all I did was jog every day for an hour. And it just so happened that if you do that for like 19 years, you get really fast <laughs> at it. Um, so, and you don't know this until you go and show up at a race and it's like, Oh wow, I'm good at something. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. Um, I, so that's, so it's always been the marathon. And so reason number one is like, it's just what I've always known. And number two, I'm really lazy. And I say that again with love. And I'd be like, how come someone running, you run for marathons in your spare time. That's not lazy. I'm like, but I don't like pain. I don't mm -hmm. like painful work. I don't like soul cycle. And no offense to soul cycle. I just don't want to compete against everyone in the room. I know wh wh where my race is. And I know when I'm, when I'm competing and when I'm not, and I'm usually not competing in my workouts, but you have to, to get really good at the 5k and you have to, to get really good at the 10k and running those races, they're hard and they hurt. Even Steph Bruce. I love her. Do you follow her on Instagram? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh. She is so open about the business of running and the heartbreak of fourth place and how much money she lost at Boulder Boulder two years ago. But she also talks about, and I, I screenshot this and send this to my clients all the time. I'm like, look, Steph still says this is hard. This is hard. The five, the 5k is, is heartbreaking and it, and it rips your lungs out through your butthole <laughs> or something. I mean, not quite like that, vivid, but she, she's, she talks about how, how bad it is. And if you fall, if you cross the finish line and you can still stand up, you probably could have gone faster in that 5k. And I'm like, 
nope, I finished a marathon and I just don't want to run anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. And that is why I love the marathon. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. That that 5K, it's just it's it's too fast and 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 hurts too much and and even if, you know, even if you want to say that the the you know, the last 5K or 10K of a marathon hurts, it's just it's a different kind of hurt. It's kind of that slow burn versus just that scorching uh you just want to not do this ever again type of feeling like I get when I do the 5K. Yeah. Yeah, like someone rips your lungs out through your butthole. That <laughs> yeah, really that's, is that's, that's like. a great uh, a great metaphor for sure. <laughs> um, goodness gracious! So going going back to uh, to the college days and, and running on the track um, at, at Georgetown, um, when when you know you kind of said that, or at least what I heard, you know, the coaches kind of saying almost like a throwaway, like, "What are you training for a marathon?" And and like it sounded like you really didn't have any idea what that was, but um, what you know what got you, uh, you know, you, you went and found out what a marathon is and, and kind of started training for it. But what was, what was it that, that pushed you from, Hey, I just like to run and I like to do this nice and easy to like, Hey, you know what? Like, let me, let me try to go actually run a, run a race. What, what kind of got that transition from just running for, for fun, for fitness, for whatever to let me, let me try a race out. Um, well, that suggestion was sort of like, I had never felt like what I was doing was pointless. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also no one wants to hear about the heart attack that destroyed your family, it turned everything upside down and left you pretty close to the poverty line for a very long time. Um, and how like, you got to take care of yourself because if especially if you're the breadwinner in the family, like, I the, the fear of God had really been impressed on me at that point of you got one body, You've got one shot and one vehicle. And this is what they mean when they say, because I'm from a very religious area, mm-hmm. your body is your temple. And like, you, you don't get your, no one is going to rebuild that temple. So I, not that like you must do everything perfectly, but there are a few things like our diet changed overnight and running was no longer, not running is not an option. That's like, I, I, this, this is a genetic thing as well. There's absolutely a physiological, or sorry, a psychological component, um, with uh, the personality type that would have led my dad towards having this, but at 33 is still really young to have a heart attack. So all things considered, like knowing that this is part in my family, it would have been kind of silly not to. So I, it was interesting to have like a purpose that was socially acceptable to discuss beyond like, well, I don't understand why you run all the time. I'm like, well, my dad had a heart attack and I'm true. Like no one wants to hear that. Mm-hmm. So I'm training for a marathon. Oh, and they don't know anything. Back then, this is 1996, 97, 98. Right. No one knew anything about marathons either. So they'd shut right up or they'd ask questions instead of trying to like play the one up comparison game. I mean, no one, no one listening can see what I'm doing right now, but this is what conversation feels like in an environment like Georgetown or Wharton where I went for graduate school. It's like elbows <laughs> in your face right. the whole time. It's, it's, it's like verbal arm wrestling and it, it's really tiresome. So you can't be, and it's not just like runners do this. People do this. Competitive people do this. People that don't know which race they're running, where their start line is, mm. which is why I'm very proud that I do. Um, <laughs> like I know, I know when I'm competing and I know when I'm not, and I can tolerate a whole lot since I don't need to compete all over the place. Mm. But I guess it's a, a, a longer way of saying like you sit down now when you sit down with people, it's like, Oh, you ran a marathon. How fast, how right. fast? Well, right. I ran a marathon 20 years ago and haven't really done one since, but I ran it in three Oh two. So that means I'm faster than you. And I'm like, but you just said you haven't run in 20 years. So you you were faster than me 20 years ago. Time is 
it's it's not a static thing. Right. You know? So it's just a really odd. There's there's so many different ways of coming at this that are inherently unhealthy. And I'm I'm even though my my childhood was hard as hell, I got to say it has made for one really very stable thing in my adult life is that running is truly a source of joy. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have to get in people's faces and verbally arm wrestle to know where I am or who I am as a runner. I can, I, I'm a runner cause I run right. and I don't even talk about my PRs. It's become a thing now. I won't tell anyone what my PRs are because this is back before we had garments. This right. is but like no one we ran on tracks because we needed to know how far we'd gone. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Or we didn't know the city that well and we didn't want to get lost. But those are the, t- that was why tracks were popular. Um, it wasn't that you needed, 800s or 200s to get ready for the marathon i mean that's things are the way they are because they were the way they were mm-hmm. i'm obsessed with history and i love um this. so one of the things i'm going to be starting a book club with the fitness protection program and the first book i'm going to ask everyone to read is the making of the american body and i don't know if you've read it but it's amazing and it's a brief history of fitness tra- fitness trends in america and how uh, even in something like jogging which came along in the 70s mm-hmm. with kenneth cooper and bill bowerman bringing it back from lydiard in switzerland uh, sorry not switzerland in new zealand, new zealand um yeah. and it became a, a thing in this in the states and then it sort of like womp, womp, just disappeared and it's now become this in, instead of everyone jogging for health it's become like this super ferocious competitive outlet where people do it boom bust Mm-hmm. or just don't ever come back again. And it's sort of like, that's not really sustainable. So I'm just trying to bring to, to everybody the same sort of sustainable mindset that has kept me doing this one thing for 35 years. And fun fact too, I don't think of myself as an athlete. Most mm-hmm. people who know me would not describe me as athletic because I don't play sports for competition. I'm not right. coordinated. That's another <laughs> thing. I can't stay upright on a bike. The few times I've tried to get off, like I like, I've tried soul cycle because that bike does not fall over. Right, right. Um, but yeah, like there's there's not a whole lot and I grew up near the woods, so like I don't want to go running on trails. Like I don't want to go. I don't want to camp. I'm like, mm. nope. I once you once you've seen a cow die from a snake bite, you don't really <laughs> won't be anywhere where snakes is. So it's true. Sad but true. Gotcha. Yes. Did I ask your question, or did I go off on one of them tangents you asked me to get on? I mean, I think it might have been a little bit of both, but that's 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 fine. It's it's all well and good. Um, okay. <clears throat> You've brought this up a couple of times, and, and I, I'd, I'd love to dive into it a little bit deeper, the, this idea that when you got started, running wasn't what it is today. Um, because I, I, I have a feeling, and I don't have uh, any real scientific data to uh, to support this, but a lot of the people that are listening have, have for the most part, been, been runners for two, three, five years, maybe even less than that. Maybe maybe within a, a year, they're just fairly new to, to the running running scene and their running journey. And you know, so, so for most of us, and, and I'm, I'm here too. I mean, I've only really been, been running for less than a decade, nine, nine, ten years, something like that. So, um, you know, I, I was kind of, I guess maybe birthed as a runner in the last really kind of big running boom. And, and I have kind of, you know, just taken to it like a fish to water. Eventually it took me a while to get to that point, but another story for another day. Um, for, for those of us that weren't running much in the late nineties, early two thousands, um, you know, other than the fact that like there wasn't Google, there wasn't Strava, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't, there, not everybody had a Garmin. And if, if you did, or if you had something that, that helped track your mileage, it certainly wasn't something where, you know, as soon as you finished your workout, it was wirelessly uploaded to the internet for the whole world to see things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, what, what was, what was running like in the quote old, olden days the, of, of the dark ages of the late nineties and, and early two thousands that, that those of us that are newer to the sport have no idea, you know, what, what it was, what it was like back then. Gather around, children. I'm going to tell you a story. 
1997, and you can go on the USATF website and look this up. In 1997, there were if, if you were a college student living in Washington, D.C., and you wanted to run a marathon, you had exactly, and you didn't have enough money to travel, but maybe you had a, a car you could borrow from a friend or trade for weed. You had four <laughs> options, two in the spring and two in the fall. That's it. Now, I mean, and that, and so we had a very different view on the marathon because you had to, mm -hmm. right? It's like you got two shots and it's not like now where people are like, oh my gosh, and it's raining and I have the flu <laughs> and all my training is wasted and everything is gone and God hates me. And I'm like, dude, you could do it next weekend. There's right. one down the street. <laughs> I know it's not the same, but like you got, why are you so upset? And they, but they get so torn up because it's like, I'm deviating from the plan. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> You're stressing me out. Back in the day, we had four. And if it rained, you just hope the next one was okay. And if it wasn't, but this is the important part too. You never let that race time define you. Mm -hmm. If you had one that did, you would not shut up. You wouldn't shut up about it. Like, oh, me, I ran a 258 and I ran a 253 and I ran a, it was the best day ever <laughs> because no one ever had the best day ever. Right. There were so few opportunities to have a really good day. You cherish them and you would still talk about them 20 years later at a dinner party about like your magic perfect day. Now we just demand the stars align. And when they don't, mm -hmm. we get really mad and upset. Um, so that's the first thing. Like there's that, that, I am faster than my race times prove was just understood like because it takes so much to have a time that is worthy of all the effort that you put into it. So many things have to so many so many things have to fall into place. And um, that and, and the irony of that is those time the, the three best races that I've had where I felt can control from start to finish where I loved it and it was such a great day. They're not my fastest times right. and the times that are my fastest caused me more psychological pain and stress than I could describe without my therapist present. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. So those were the, the, that that's one of the really big differences um, Two, like you didn't have this phenomenon of people like kind of stopping in front of their house, looking at their watch and then going again <laughs> for like another, you know, point one of a mile. Cause none of us cared. Like we right. like, that was roughly, I've been out for an hour. Timex says that the last my time, my, my Timex Ironman watch says, cause that was fancy when that mm -hmm. came out, right. Whew, that you could hit the lap button. Mm -hmm. So you'd hit the lap button and be like, or it would hit you and be like, okay, so I know that my, the first mile was nine minute mile and the last minute was a nine minute mile and I've been out for an hour. So I've run about a little under seven miles. That sounds good. And there was no worry over it was 6.63 mm -hmm. and people didn't get excited to call you up because I've seen this happen too. Um, like how many, you know, I ran like 45 miles last week. And people are like, 42.3, I saw on Strava. <laughs> like, like they're calling you out as though you lied. And I'm like, I would round 42 and a half up to 45. I don't see that right. as wrong, but I, a lot of people, and I'm a numbers for, I went to Wharton. I was an investment <laughs> banker. I do, I like numbers, but I also know that when good enough is good enough and mm. that exactity, exactness does not necessarily lead, um, does not improve the conversation 100% of the time. Poorly done math, bad logic, horrible frameworks for decision-making, that will ruin you. Um, being the difference, rounding up to, from 42 and a half to 45 during the flow of conversation, 
that's hardly misleading. Um, and the final thing that I would say is really striking that has changed. And uh, I, one of my running buddies is uh, uh, 72 and uh, we meet every Wednesday and I, I, I love it. I've never expected to live this long. I never expected to be this old <laughs> and I love every second that I'm alive now. And even more so that when I can sit with the 72 year old man and we can talk about how much the running world has changed because he's always upset about some, you know, race in Westminster and then they're giving out, they're giving out flasks. You remember the first race you did, MK? I'm like, yes, I do, Al Hawker. Let me tell you, we were in the middle of nowhere, Virginia. I couldn't even tell you where because I had to bum a ride. And when we ran, it was an invitational marathon. And they gave everyone popsicle sticks. You mm -hmm. didn't have bibs. Mm -hmm. You had popsicle sticks. And they would write your number on the popsicle stick after you paid um, the entry fee, which was like a quarter. I mean, it was something ridiculous. Like right. when, I, when I talk about race entry fees, it's like my grandfather talking about buying shoes <laughs> in during the Great Depression. It's like the prices have just inflated so much. But I had, I had to carry that popsicle stick in my hand and then I handed it at the end and they laid it down next to the person. So that's how they knew the your order. order. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then um, I had, I couldn't afford the race that day. So I borrowed the bib from somebody and they mailed they physically mailed a, a confirmation of time to him. Mm. And why this matters is we didn't have athletes. We didn't have the Corona tracking. We didn't have, and we had race photographers to prove that you would cross the finish line because that was what you had to do. If you qualified for the Olympic trials, you needed the photo to prove mm. that you've been there. You needed the, um, the certification from the race itself that you had finished and the place that you'd had. So it's just funny how much is, has graduated and gone digital. But back then you had to carry a popsicle stick and make sure you smiled for that finish line photo um, <laughs> because so that you could be recognizable when that was submitted to the trials. That's, that's funny. I, I've never had to carry a popsicle stick, but our, our <laughs> local running club, um, pretty much, I think all of the races these days are all, you know, chip timed or whatever, but I can remember, you know, in this, and this wasn't 25 plus years. This was probably six or eight or 10 years ago where there were some of the races that were a little bit smaller, a little bit lower key where they would, um, when you finished, like they wouldn't let you out of the, the, um, the corral basically until they basically they gave you uh the the uh popsicle stick and then you know they'd give it to you and then you'd give it to the to the next volunteer or whatever so they'd have them in the right order or whatever but they had some some motion capture clock type of thing where when you cross the finish line it would beep and so it'd be like all right you know number number whatever um you know the number seven popsicle stick went to bib whatever and that's how they would determine the finishing order and the times and things like that um so you know it's uh like i said i never had to carry especially for 26 miles that would be a a, a long while of carrying a popsicle stick but um but yeah well, I mean, we didn't have gels no one carried right. those either yeah, no one had true. fanny packs or waist belts <laughs> i mean carrying a popsicle stick was way easier than some of the stuff i've seen people carry for local 5ks that's true that's true which is not i say that not uh, not to make fun of anyone but just sort of like you were very prepared right right to get uh, lost in the woods right or, yeah, to, or to get lost running around <laughs> running around town for uh these days, you know, get lost running around town for half an hour. Like you, yeah. you know, you might, you might not need 40 ounces of fluid for a, a 30 minute, uh, 5k, but that's again, neither, neither here nor there. And, and you do what you got to do. And, and, and I'm not going to worry you about, can't, you can't necessarily go wrong with the 40 though. That's, that is a valid, a valid point. So, <laughs> um, obviously, you know, like, like you said, running has always been uh, pretty much always been a part of your life since you were little and, and it just kind of continues along. But, um, you know, you mentioned going, going to Wharton and, and being an investment banker, when did, uh, coaching and, and kind of the, the professional, uh, side of, of your life change to be running focused as well? 
Well, here's one more thing to go back to the last question, and then that'll sure, tie yeah. into this one very nicely. The um, Boston has changed. In 1996, Boston had just been per- the, the naming rights had just been purchased by John Hancock, and they were saying it was going to be the biggest one ever. Um, the marathon was not particularly popular, um, peop- and there weren't as many. There just weren't as many road races. Period. And the few people who did do the marathons and did them really seriously at anything that would have been labeled a track club, um, that that usually their long runs were open. Um, but you didn't talk about Boston mm-hmm. because admitting that you cared about qualifying for Boston, which was much easier to do in 1996. Like you only had to run like a four hour marathon. Um, (laughs) For some of us only that that's still, it's still pretty good. (laughs) I'm just saying, well, no, I mean like, but when you look at where the standards are now, it's like, I could have, you know, I've had people cross the finish line and be like, I would have, I qualified for Boston in 1987. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know the feeling. Um, But I never ran it. I still haven't run it. Um, and looking back, yeah, there were plenty of times that I did qualify. Um, but it, the people around me, when I started doing the longer runs off campus with different groups of folks, um, I remember so clearly, like, making fun of each other. Oh, you're going to shoot for Boston? Way to reach for the middle. And because there was nothing, there, like, it, it is an interesting question. Why did Boston, it's an iconic race. It's a wonderful mm-hmm. race. But it's not the only one you have to qualify for. What has made that? hashtag goals but it's just such a big deal now and if i had ever and i knew the world had changed i lived abroad for seven years came back in 2007 and people would be like oh you run you do ma- oh you're a marathoner if you run boston i'm like god no 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 <laughs> no i haven't i'm not that kind of runner i'm a real runner mm. i'm a real runner i don't care about boston that's how you know i'm real that's how real i am it's, and that's funny because and, now i'll talk to people that are like i didn't think i was a real runner until i qualified and ran boston which is just and no one thinks i'm a real coach because i've never been there right Wow. They're like, oh, wait, but how can you be a coach if you haven't qualified for Boston? I'm like, I have. Where? <laughs> Going through athletics. I'm like, well, my first time chip time race in the United States wasn't until 2008, the Broad Street Run when I was in grad school. Mm-hmm. None of my times before that. Either I had was poor and I could and I borrowed the bib because inevitably in every track club, there'd be somebody that overtrained right. and I knew who they were. So I'd be all right. You, I could pick them out. So like a, you know, a lion in the savannah, I'm going to go <laughs> hang out with this person, be real friends with them, just wait for them to get hurt and then be like, oh, can I have your your race? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. You just have to poor college student. Um, but people were always there was always some people that had that imposter syndrome going on that were really lovely to be around in these hyper competitive groups. Um, but that yeah, that it's I still think it's funny how much bo- how that view of Boston mm-hmm. and maybe that view is not universal. But it um, I, I told this story once in front of um, I've tra- I've trained two Olympic caliber athletes. And one of them um, took me aside afterwards and she's like, I've never said it out loud, but yeah, I don't know how Boston, I've never run it either. And I don't know how that that became a thing. And I started like, and I started laughing. She did go to the trial. She did really well there. She didn't quite make the team. But anyway, that's a long way of saying that now Boston has become like this badge of credibility that once upon a time um, I did not want to be associated with. And now is impacting my credibility because I'm not yet associated with it. Um, so it's just funny if, if you, I, people ask me all the time if it's worth it, if it's worth all the effort. And it's because there's so much heartbreak that goes into training for a time, especially an arbitrary one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all I can tell you is this. I can't guarantee that the, the, the Boston requirements won't get faster over time. But I can guarantee that no one's ever going to believe you when you say that you could have gone, but we're too cool to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my that's my spiel on Boston and where that ironic place where I'm going to be living for a very long time. So the transition to coaching um, came along after I had two babies back to back. 
I've been living in New York City. Um, I married a guy I went to grad school with. Wanted nothing to do with him while we were there. We reconnected mm-hmm. in, uh, in when he'd grown up, you know, a little bit more. He'd been in the Navy <laughs> on a submarine for just a little too long. Um, I'm like, you need to go work that out on your own time and be like in groups of people for a while. <laughs> and when we reconnected in New York, he was he was amazing. And we, we got engaged four months after that wow. and um, got found out I was pregnant. I got laid off on my way to the wedding, found out that I was pregnant two weeks later after we'd moved into our new apartment um, and was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I was running with Nike um, back then when I was li- living in New York, back when I, back when, back when I was fast. Um, and we um, and, and this is not one of the official professional Nike groups, to be mm-hmm. absolutely clear um, that they had at the time they had a huge group of um, sub elite casual um, mm-hmm. that were all centered around Nike town. They were that was a, a strategy that they had trying to make run clubs happen in Nike right. towns across across the country. Um, I miss those. They, those were really good. They were well done. Uh, that, that was a really super special. That was probably the most special time for me as a runner was being part of Nike in New York City um, in, in 2009 through 2011. Um, but then when we moved, and I was, I kind of felt that ache. We moved next to Houston, and HARA, Houston Area Roadrunners Association, is wonderful, and they do a great job. But we lived in on the Fulcher side of Katy, mm-hmm. so getting to me and any of the run clubs was hard. And I'm like, God, you know, I don't know where we're going to go next, but I have to be near runners. I, I, I have to be in this. I didn't realize how important this was because I'd never, I lived in Hong Kong, Tokyo, London, Moscow, Beijing, and Shanghai. You can run in all those places. Mm-hmm. It's not, a, it's not a big deal. Um, Houston was the first place I really had, cha- I was challenged to run, not just because I had a baby, but also because it was really hot during the day right. and it was, and there are snakes on, on, on a lot of the trails. And so I, the t- trying to take the baby out, especially where we were um, in, in suburbia, where we didn't have sidewalks mm-hmm. necessarily which still blew my mind but like why, why are you living in the suburbs why would you not want a sidewalk right. who loiters <laughs> kids the kids in this neighborhood loiter anyway i don't i never understood that logic it was a bad fit for me um so when we moved to denver i knew i had like one shot to get this right and i um i very quickly got the tried to get the best lay of the land I possibly could um and this is and where we did is where we still live and I absolutely love it here from there I, I was like I we found out when we moved here I had was six months pregnant mm-hmm. with our second kid um so they're 13 and a half months apart that was not wow. intended but it never is right so I'm and now this is my first time at altitude so I have found I'm like Denver is going to be my salvation and I've, I know the run club I'm going to join and I know where I'm going to go I'm like I've mapped it all out I'm like I'm I will not miss this I don't have my my last name is gone my career is I'm never going to have this again because mm. I had to move with my husband and right. I, I I stand by that like my like what was I supposed to do be like no I've got this great <laughs> run club in New York I'm not going anywhere um so it was it this was not the life that at this point that I had envisioned for myself when I took out gigantic grad school loans mm. to go to work so when people tell me they went to work and I don't I don't be like oh you must be really good at math I'm like oh you're poor bless your heart I know I had those two we only paid off our student loans two years ago and that was it was five thousand dollars a month between the two of us so with five thousand dollars a month like that's about six times bigger than our mortgage between the two of us and um you know one one job that's my husband's like Mm -hmm. we were tight things were really tight I'd gone from banker to this and um I was I, so to call it an existential crisis would be an understatement. It was kind of a low point. I didn't know my classmates were looking at me like a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. And I, and I get that, like she went on the mommy track and she can't get back. <laughs> um, 
but I'm like, how do I get back to where I want to be to where I need to be? I know I need a coach and I know I'm going to need help. And let's get the running back together and then everything else will fall into place. It always has. I started looking for a coach, but mind you, Irish twins at altitude is, mm-hmm. is that, that is something I could barely climb stairs without getting winded. And I had never been this unfit. I've been running since I was six. There have been periods where I didn't run, right. but we were talking like three months mm-hmm. and I got right back on it. it. There's never been a long extended. I had I had never become that unfit and needed to, and needed to get back. And it's hard. It's really hard. So um, I remember, and this is kind of what, kicked off everything. I went to, I, there's a, there's the Denver track club, um, meets near my house. And I had, we had scraped together, um, $30 to get a sitter so that I could go meet with the coach and see about maybe getting on, uh, getting, what would, what would it take to get back on the roster mm-hmm. or to start working again? And he took, and what I didn't know, what I'd forgotten back when I said earlier, track club usually means these are people that are still chasing the Olympic dream. They're really good runners. Before I'd had babies, I was fast enough to hang after Irish twins at altitude. (laughs) Not so much. No, no. And I'm like, so how do I get from here to there? How do I, I just, I need help coming back. I need a coach. And he's like, you need a personal trainer. He was very nice about it. I want to be very clear not to not denigrate anyone in any way. He was very kind. Um, but it, and because there's no way to take that information. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm just like, I can't afford a personal trainer. And he's like, you just need to get fit again. And then I can help you because I'm a running rush running is a specialty type of fitness. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? And I, I, I got, I got, I was, I cried. I came home, I sat on my porch and I just cried my eyes out. Like FML, where did it all go? I am from nowhere. I am from a little town. Everywhere I've been, I've been an outlier. You don't belong in Georgetown. You don't understand the rules, you Southern conservative thing. Mm. You don't belong here in Japan. You don't speak any Japanese. And by the way, you're not that good at math. We got mathier people over here. You don't belong here at Wharton because you had a fine job before and you majored in, 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 in what? What does that have to do? Everywhere I've gone, I felt like I didn't fit. But running, I could always find a place where I fit. If I don't fit with the runners, I don't know what to do. Mm. So I got angry. I got so angry. Like how how did every facet of my life go in one fell swoop? How I, I had been and Mary Catherine Brooks, investment banker who lived in Hong Kong, or this I was a sales trader at the time who lived in Hong Kong. I'm I have an MBA. Like all of these things were supposed to insulate me against the cyclical changes that happen over the course of a lifetime, and nothing did. Like what was it all for? I had my house was built on sand. Mm-hmm. How the fuck did that happen? Right. So I got I'm like, well, if I have I don't if I'm gonna be here with an internet connection, I got a brain that works. I got frameworks I can use to make choices. I have watched companies succeed and fail. I can coach myself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to figure this out. And I did. And I went down a rabbit hole. I have friends that live in New York and they work for New York Roadrunners, people I used to run with. And they were watching me struggle in Denver and they were like, hey, all right, here's, I'm going to give you an entry to the New York City Marathon. Um, I get a friends and family entry every year. I'm going to give it to you. Come out here. We're going to run where we used to run. We're going to eat what we used to eat. We're going to have a great time. And I didn't know how to say, I don't think we can afford it. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I'm, you know what? I'm going to figure all of this out and I'm going to New York 
And I did. And it was a, it was the first easy effort run I did trying to maximize my oxygen uptake because mm-hmm. I didn't have a whole lot of strength. Um, it, I was running 18 and a half minute miles wow. and I sat, I, again, I finished and sat on the curb and cried and I'm like, I'm not going to be able to run the five miles dictated on my plan. I'm going to have, if this is the effort level I have to maintain, I'm going to have to make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. So then I continued my work and was like, all right, so now I've got these time blocks and the effort levels and I've got something put together. And by the wow, this looks a whole lot like the way I used to run when I was little with dad's cardio rehab. So I started reading more and more. I got everything I could get my hands on doing my own strength at home. Like what's, what's going to make my VO2 max go up the fastest, this, this, and this, what stands in between me and this glute strength. Where do I start with glutes here? I can't do a lunge yet because that's going to tear my knees up. We can change the plane of motion, do a step up. So I was just like, can't do this. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do over and over and over? And anyone works with me um, is going to hear that a lot too, because <laughs> I'm like, there is no such thing as no. There's only what can I do? Don't tell me no and walk away. How dare you? Tell me what I can do. I'm asking for work. Give me work. So um, I just, I figured out where to start and I got myself. um, I'm still, and then then I've continued to have more babies. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm, I'm proud of where I'm at right now. And it's been a very, it's been a very difficult road since then, but that was five years ago. I turned around running 18 and a half minute miles for three, three and a half, almost four months, and then 14 and a half minute miles for maybe two months. And then it showed up at the New York City Marathon and I ran it in 424. And I had no reason to think it was going to go that well. But that's a combination of all the strength work that I've been doing and the boom that I got from adapting from going from altitude mm-hmm. down. So there was no calculator that was going to predict that finish time. I got lucky that I knew, I know the the effort from years and years and years of doing it. And I know the distance and I know that race. So that when that went, that worked out particularly well. And then I turned to my husband and said, you know, I see a lot of people in the run club that I'm a part of struggling and I don't have any credibility. I'm just some fat housewife that, that, you know, can't afford to travel to the races that they go to. Um, and like, which is real sticking point for me. Right. I, I went from, poor to absolutely not Mm -hmm. to being back there, not from poor decisions. Just, it was, everything seemed responsible until the world changes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 2009 and 2010 were, I was getting hammered. My, my, what I thought was my life savings was getting hammered by changes in the stock market along with, um, all this grad school debt. But anyway, I digress from that. So that was, I keep, I keep talking about money. It's because it's like, I'm not irresponsible. Like right. some things were kind of out, just like my family, like we are not irresponsible. He had a heart attack. No one saw that coming. Um, so sometimes these things are kind of foisted on you. And then where the beauty lies is how you get out of that spot. And how I got out of that depression was looking at my husband and saying, you know, I can do this. And I think I could help other people. And you know what? Maybe I need to become the coach that I want to hire. Maybe there's somebody that wants more of this. So the next step was RCA certification. And it took us three months to set aside the $300 mm-hmm. we needed in order to do it. Um, but got one of the spots. Um, I got the certification and we were sort of like holding our breath because that was a lot of money. And what if one of our kids gets sick and, right. and, 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 um, and the very next day I'm, I wake up and there's an email in my inbox. And at that time with Facebook, I didn't know how to turn off notifications. Somehow it was on, it would email me notifications mm. for the groups that I was most active right. in. And, um, if you hear nothing else, I do not turn that function off 
and I don't want to. So I always get people that hear me tell the story and they're like, oh, I can help you. I'm like, I'm, but no, that's not the point. The point of the story is this came to my inbox and I saw it and it was a, it was a call for a run coach at Lifetime Fitness. And I responded instantaneously and said, I want it. And they were like, yours. And that was it. And I never looked back. I We built that run club from 16 to 125. It was the largest and most um, lucrative uh, in the country for that chain. And I was very, very, very proud of that. And we did that over the course of 18 months. Um, I really found me mm-hmm. in a new way, which is odd as an adult, me who doesn't identify as an athlete still because I don't compete in my running. Um, but I'm, I'm a damn good coach. And I love it. I absolutely love you know, correcting people's form and finding ways to be like, we've got this motley crew. I will not ever segregate on the basis of pace. I have not ever before. And I do not intend to start now. So how do I make all of these people work together in a way that doesn't make anyone feel less than or otherized? And I figured it out. You get them real tired. No one's good at burpees, <laughs> make them all do burpees. And then the fast people won't be that fast. Mm-hmm. And the slow people that slow. So, or you figure out that like, if you finish too quickly, then you're going to have to do hollow rock hold until the last person like crosses the finish line. Tell you what, you're not going to be running that hard and you don't need to. We're training for a marathon. Right. But you're like, no one needs to do interval track intervals when you're training for a marathon in the thick of the season. So we just found ways to make it fun and really interesting. And if you go to the website now, www.fitnessprotection.com, when I sent out the, the call to um, and that, the, the pictures that you see basically from the photo shoot on the website, those are all people that train with me at my first cycle awesome. at lifetime. And she, you can literally see how challenging it was to find one program to fit them all. Um, and I, but I figured out how to do that. And then at the end of their very first training cycle at Denver rock and roll back in 2014, they're like, great, we'll see you when Colfax training starts in February. And I'm like, no, you won't, which <laughs> you got to maintain this. You got to maintain this over the winter. You can't just stop running and go take a two-month break and then come back and expect a PR. You can't put that on me, and you can't put that on you. That's not fair. Like, you already came into this not doing as well as you thought you were going to, not realizing that your expectations were irrational um, or uh, unfair, really, to Mm -hmm. you. And so you feel like a failure now. And you can't like walk away for two months, come back and then expect better because you've done it before. That's not how you leverage experience, not here. So I created, um, and because of, we really needed the money, <laughs> I created, uh, I called it the fitness protection program and I started a Google group and had everyone buy in at, if you just give me $50 a month, um, each of you, I'll, I'll keep this going. We'll have weekly meetings. I will go get experts and we'll have, we'll have them come and speak, um, every month and we'll keep you engaged in focused even during a Colorado winter when we might not be able mm-hmm. to run together. Um, we're going to keep the long runs going and I'm going to keep showing up and you're going to keep showing up too. And it worked. And the fitness protection program became a thing. And um, that it, it became where all my private clients kind of lived online and where I, and it managed my my newsletter because I didn't want, I have a formal newsletter. It was, and I didn't really want to blog. I didn't want to be mm-hmm. out there like that. I just wanted to share my thoughts with my runners on topics like the Rio Olympics as it was coming up or um, when, you know, so, so-and-so is accused of doping or like, how do, how do we feel about who gets to participate in the women's category of sport? Whenever I had a thought that where uh, in a, this is the place where I was expected to be the thought leader, mm-hmm. as opposed to when you're just putting that on your Facebook page. I, once again, Steve Magness is on Facebook. Real coaches are on Facebook. They, they should be the thought leaders in the public as long as the things that they're saying are, are heart, thoughtful, heartfelt, intelligent, necessary, and kind, obviously. But like 
Facebook doesn't need my thoughts on Castro Semenya. At the same time, my runners aren't following Steve Magnus. Mm-hmm. Like they're, he's, he's so far out of their realm that that's where I could be the thought leader. So I have all, and now I've been taking all of that, um, all of those leadership, thought leadership pieces, all of my, they're, they're, and I'm filling the blog on coachedandlove.com. So coachedandlove.com is sort of separate. That's that's Coach MK and the way I look at things. Um, and then fitness protection is the business. So you can you can you can come train with me, and I'm going to be hiring additional coaches that won't necessarily be coached and loved. I, it was always important that we separate me from the business if this thing is really going to have legs. Um, so because I can't. You know, it doesn't need to be all me, if that right, makes sense. So right. all of those, all of those old thought leadership things are on are on um, uh, coachedandlove.com. And then I don't really have a blog on fitness protection yet. It's just a place to place to go get training stuff. It's, well, that's that's just fine. It's it's getting started and 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 launching and and uh, more to come as as it continues to grow and evolve. What's what's the um, what, what's the what's the vision for for fitness protection long term? Long term, I really. It's really aggressive. <laughs> Get it, girl. <laughs> and I appreciate I appreciate it, but I can't say. I mean, it's 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 that big. Um, I this is I've been thinking about this since 2013. What I needed and what I would have wanted, and over time that has evolved. Mm-hmm. So I made my first hire. I'm really excited. Sarah Axelrod, Coach Sarah, she's amazing, um, and she will be slowly. She just uh, she quit her job at Harvard to come work with me. Wow. No pressure for no me. No pressure at all. I yeah. Be- Right. I got to make this work. Um, so I she's going to be slowly taking over the, the the coached and loved brand while I build out a family of brands under the fitness protection umbrella and then roll that up into something a little bit more aggressive. No family should have to go through what my family did. Um, like I said, you only have one vehicle to go through this life with and fitness and exercise has become this Thing where who can beat themselves down the hardest mm-hmm. who can be number one on the Strava leaderboard this week <laughs> and they don't know which race they're running or where the, the start line was and I'm I am a type B personality but that doesn't mean I'm not competitive and it doesn't mean I'm not ambitious it just means that I'm very clear about where I'm going to compete and it's easy to call me lazy when I don't mm-hmm. dance to whatever it just means that you didn't incentivize me properly. Right. Well, she's just so lazy. She won't do this extra work. I'm like, well, you weren't going to pay me for it. You weren't going to credit <laughs> me for it. Um, you weren't even going to thank me for it. So why the F would I show up to that? Right. But that is, you know, that's, that seen as lazy. I call it bad business, but gotcha. that's, that's unfortunately no one's ever taught how to manage people um, <sighs> necessarily when they, <laughs> when they start a company or when a company um, starts growing, when you, they, mm. we called it at Wharton, the problem of success. Right. It was my favorite class ever, the problem of success. And where all of a sudden when everything hits and you're making all this money, and then you forget that there are all these people that were making sacrifices with you right. while you grew, but you're the sole owner or which direction are you going to go in? Everyone has a very different idea of what that vision is. And for me, um, it has been the, the one clear vision that I have is accessible fitness for every person who wants it. No shame, no, nothing but encouragement, nothing, nothing fake. You can be positive without having to make shit up. You can, mm. you can find something good in any situation. And that is called optimism. And that is how you keep moving through crappy situations. I cannot promise that you won't have more pre- crap days. I can promise that I'm going to move through them with you. Mm-hmm. Well, shoot, and I you- will, and you, no athlete of mine will ever be defined by a finish time. You will not be reduced mm-hmm. to an arbitrary number to one data point. That's not how data works. You right. need a bunch of it to synthesize and look at it over time. And that is what I'm here to do holistic with the W. 
Gotcha. Oh, love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, and, and guys, once again, that's fitnessprotection.com. If you want to check that out and, and, uh, get a little more information, uh, if, you, if you're loving what you're hearing, um, switching, switching gears just a little bit, MK, before we, we wrap up today, one of the things that, uh, like I said in the intro, I always love talking to, to other running coaches. Um, and, and I love to kind of get a little, uh, uh, ask, ask, uh, you to kind of share some, some wisdom or some tips or things like that, that more often than not, um, it's stuff that I've probably said, probably, uh, said many times and to the point where, where my voice gets drowned out, but hearing a different voice and a different, uh, a different passion come in, uh, might, uh, might spur a few people to actually listen and, and maybe take some action. And uh, I would love to, to channel it a little bit more towards, um, kind of heart rate training or, or easy training. Uh, I, I saw something on the website about you have, uh, kind of a, a cap you like to encourage people to stay under as far as, you know, keep the heart rate below 140. And, and I've, uh, really bought into heart rate training over the last year and a half now. Um, and, and, uh, like you, I think kind of comparing your, your, your training times to that first New York or that, that time you ran New York when it was, you know, training at 13 minutes per per mile and end up running at whatever that 18 or 18. Yeah. 18. And I ran it in, in nine and change. Right. Like nine thirties. Right. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, the, the obvious connection there that you don't have to kill it in training all the time to run fast on race day. And in fact, you know, science and things like that, you probably shouldn't kill it on, on race, on, on training every day to, in order to really run your, your fastest on race day. So, um, if, if we could take a few minutes and, and I don't know that I have a specific question other than, um, talk to the, talk to the people about the value of running, running legitimately easy, uh, most of the time, because I've seen the the benefits I've seen the, the growth in myself, uh, the people that I can convince to, to buy into it have seen a lot of growth and a lot of benefit as well. But just, you know, it's just something in that, in the mind that says that, well, if I'm not running fast, I'm not going to get faster. When, when somebody comes to you with that, that pushback of, of coach MK, like I, 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 I have to run hard if I'm going to race hard. What, what's, what's the pushback? How do you, how do you get through to them that slowing down is actually a great way to make you faster? You are perfectly rational and you are beautifully sentient. You are an amazing person with an incredible mind. And I love the way you look at things. The problem here is that you have been caught in a second running boom. Mm-hmm. Back in 1983, we figured out we, it was a, it was a guy, the name is going to elude me. Dr. Dr. Anderson figured out what lactate was in his graduate dissertation. And that happened around the same time that we discovered for sure that Eastern Bloc fellas were doping left, front and center all across Europe. So it, we conflated because it was easy to talk about why are we getting faster interval training? Thank you, Dr. Ken Anderson, um, when it was really steroids. Mm-hmm. So oh, so that that became the trend. And if you read um, the, the book, the, if you want to join us for the book club, if you want to come back and read that book, I would love to discuss it with you. But we talk about that, that um, it was though all of those doping athletes were used, um, they all just said, hey, it's interval training. And that became really cool. And that became the thing people did. And then they moved away from Arthur Lydiard's um, and jogging and, and long, slow, easy effort stuff, which was the staple at the cardiologist office that that uh, the stuff I had I was told I, you have to do it. If you want to live, you have to do it if you want to keep your heart healthy. Um, and you have to be really cautious and judicious about what you do um, as you go higher and higher, because 180 is kind of the red line. And it's a very general red line, but for cardiologists, the way it was understood at the time, you're not metabolizing oxygen up there. So Mm -hmm. you're literally depriving your heart of oxygen while it's working. It's not because it's working too hard. It can't process oxygen. Mm -hmm. So it's not a good idea to be up there very often or for very long. So now that we live in, in a time where we aren't getting fitness plans from our doctors, when we are competing against each other, when we, instead of saying, 
I don't know what I'm doing. We kind of like look around at everyone else. Um, then there's another saying that I have with my athletes and I say it again, lovingly, it's not to diss other people. It's to redirect your own brain. Oh my gosh. He's running, he's doing HIIT workouts. I should probably do HIIT workouts. I don't like working hard. I should probably, you know what? He's coachless. He's unloved. I am coached. I'm loved. I'm winning at life. That became something that I would do to redirect my brain when I would see other people doing something that either I couldn't do, didn't think was smart or just couldn't afford and be like, you know what? Why am I assuming that that's better? I'm assuming it's better because I can't afford it. And that's the problem in my brain. So I would redirect my brain to be like, I know what I'm doing. I'm good with what I'm doing. It's okay. It is scary to do something different than what everyone else is doing. Peer pressure is huge. Mm -hmm. How can you be so sure that you're going to buck everyone else? I had to pay a bigger price. I had to learn this the hard way. I had to learn it really young. I hope no one else ever has to. And if you've gotten by this far doing whatever it is that you do, great. Don't change anything. But when that day comes, if it comes, I will be here for you to grab you and carry you forward because most people I meet have never actually run and done an easy effort run. Mm-hmm. And they think they have. You can't tell them that. Oh, this is totally, this is good. <laughs> ah, I'm running the fence. It's totally easy. My heart rate's at 165. I can go harder. It's like if, if the question you're truly asking yourself is, could I go harder? Yes, I could. Therefore, this is easy. That is bad logic. Mm-hmm. So just like coming up with that cap, it's a little arbitrary. Um, and I have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of laissez-faire. I'm not going to kick anyone out for breaking right. the rule. Um, at the same time, like you are never, you, you can be like, well, that 160 run I just did didn't hurt, didn't hurt. I feel fine. That was easy. You're never going to catch, convince me that that won't catch up to you because mm-hmm. it does. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that end up hurt over and over again. So we don't have to do every single easy effort run. Uh, we're sorry. We don't have to do every run in a training cycle, easy mm-hmm. effort, but you can't go wrong. That's your batna. That's your best alternative to mm-hmm. anything else is a, 30 minutes, easy effort. I have a workout that I call avocado toast. It's boring. It's basic. It's bland. You really don't want to take a picture of it and put it on Instagram, but it feels so good and you could have it every day. It serves every purpose. And that workout is, is uh, between 30 and 60 minutes of easy effort running with six sets of strides at the end, just for that neuromuscular stimulus. Cause you only need a very little of it to keep your central nervous system firing in the way that you need to, to develop speed. So I'm like, what do I need to do? I find kind of like the least amount that won't tax me. And and I do that because that is what allows me to work out tomorrow. That's the opposite of lazy. Mm-hmm. I'm holding back now so I can do more work aggregate over the week. I ran 45 miles last week. I ran 42 miles a week before that. I'm not training for anything. This is just what I do for fitness. And it's fun. Mm-hmm. And I don't burn out because I run easy effort and I'm my, that easy effort is getting that pace is getting faster over time because I'm doing a lot of strength to go along with it. I do want to go. One of my goals in life is just so I never have to talk about it again is qualify for Boston and run it. Just so everybody will shut up <laughs> and then there turn around and go after my PRs with now that I can afford bibs. I want to own the, I want to own my times. And I think that's possible. They were pretty fast, but they're not, so fast. And when that day comes, it'll be, I've, I've got my platform now. I've got my blog. I got my podcast. Um, I, I'm going to be blasting it all over the place when that, when, when, when I get there. Um, but all that, just to say, that's, that's the, that's the other thing. You have no idea what you're capable of. Most people don't. And it, mm. it, it, it will never not break my heart how much pain and sadness people can pack into a question that's ostensibly about running. And what they're really asking a lot of the time is like, can I, do I, what am I? And I'm like, you are everything. 
you are and you always were. And I'm so sorry it took you this long, that, but you did not have a coach sooner that was really invested in your development. I care too much. It drives my family crazy. I drive, I drive myself crazy. I, but this is what I want for everyone is to see that potential, to be that coach that I needed so badly in 2013. Here is where do you want to go? I will get you there. Here is your best next step. And here is your best next step. And here, and we're going to troubleshoot and put it together. And we're just going to keep moving because if you haven't been as fit as Kara Goucher, if you have not truly maximized the potential of your physical body, then that means the best it could be yet to come. Mm -hmm. There is no reason you will categorically slow down at the age of 40 if you weren't in the Olympics in your 20s. Because those people have probably come pretty close. That's where doping comes into play. Right. We have physio physiologically maxed out what I'm capable of doing. Doping is not a shortcut for them. It makes them, it gives them more in a way that they can't get naturally. So, and most of us, and I've had people say this, no, I think I've been as fit as I could get. I'm like, nope. No, mm -hmm. and no offense, but no. Um, there's a pretty big divide between as fit as I want to get, like, I don't want to do more of the work than this because any, mm. anything more is going to uh, 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 upset the apple cart. Cool. Then we just do different work. Right. And so I'm trying to give people in my programs options to do different work and more work when they want to and enough that they're maintaining in between. So those would be, and that's a big old word salad for two maxims. The poll quote would be, you know, if you've probably never done an easy effort run and you need a whole lot of them. And I hope you hear that. I would rather you hear that from me than from a cardiologist. Like I had to right. with when my dad had to, when I was younger um, and two, you're not done unless you want to be. Mm. Mm -hmm. I, I would usually ask a philosophical question right now, but I feel like that is, is more philosophy than I can probably handle. So um, I think that's, <laughs> that's a great exclamation point to just, to just, call it right there. I, I love that idea of, of you're not done unless you want to be. So, um, instead of, instead of letting that get lost in the last few minutes, let's just, let's just wrap it right there. So, uh, once again, guys, coachedandloved.com, fitnessprotection.com on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch at coach MK Fleming again, Fleming with one M and uh, disruns.com slash seven, two, six. will take you back to the show notes. If you, if you need any of the links, miss anything that we talked about, we'll have the, the cliff notes, the cliffs notes there, uh, as well as, as all of the things, links, photos, all that good stuff, disruns.com slash seven, two, six. So MK, Thank you for uh, for taking the time today, Barb. Thanks for the suggestion. It was uh, it was killer. You, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, anybody else suggestions for guests? Let me know. But uh, MK, thank you for joining us today. Certainly wish you nothing but the best going forward. Nothing but the best with the, with the fitness protection program and all the things you've got going on. Uh, and if there's anything else that we can ever do to help support you along the way, uh, happy to do so. But uh, thanks for the time and uh, well, you really appreciate you can it. come be on my podcast like I asked. Well, let's make it happen. You gonna do a morning mantra? Yeah, let's do it. So I have. I have a micro podcast called The Morning Mantra because we're never really talking about the running, right? Um, and it's it's very short; they're ten minutes or less. So, yeah, I would love to. I would love for you to come up with a mantra to uh, share with share with my people. I think you'd be you strike me as someone that would be very good at it. All right, well, we'll we'll make that happen, and guys, I'll let you know when that happens as well. And and again, Morning Mantra. If you want to check out uh, MK's podcast, that's that's the place to be. Uh, if you find it in wherever podcasts are sold, just search for Morning Mantra, and it's right there. So, uh, thanks again, MK, and uh, nothing but the best going forward. Thank you so much. I just had a really great day. And thank you, Barb Hedstrom. I thank you more than anything. I'm so grateful for this recommendation. You have no idea. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. Uh, hope that you enjoyed the conversation between MK and myself. Hope that uh, you're not out of breath from listening to it because it was it was pretty intense, but uh, it was pretty, pretty awesome too, I think. Um, and as per usual, I'd be curious to know what stood out to you from this episode. What was your takeaway 
probably a half a dozen takeaways. At least there was for me. Um, and I bet you don't know where I'm going to go. I bet you think I'm going to go with the heart rate training thing on this on this one with the, the cap. But no, I mean that was I thought that was important. But I'm gonna I'm gonna dig a little deeper for a little takeaway from this one. It was kind of something that was almost almost a throwaway, something we kind of glossed over a little bit. But uh, when MK was talking about you know working with the group, that first training group she had, and they got through their race, and then like all right, we'll see you in a few months for the next race, and she was like, no, we need to keep going. That's my takeaway. That that idea of not letting yourself train up for a race. And then back way off um, and lose all of that progress only to then have to start from square one again the next time that the next race is on your schedule. Um, I've done that. And that's frustrating. And let me tell you, it's, it's a hard way to make progress towards your goals. But at the same time, it's a bit of a dichotomy because you can't just keep going at maximal level. Like there does need to be an ebb. There does need to be a flow. You do need to give give back a little bit or give your body back a little bit, give your body a little bit of a break to kind of consolidate some gains. So you can't stay at peak fitness all the time, but too often we get, we get past, you know, the, the end of our training cycle. And then it's like, you take the foot way off the gas and let everything just kind of roll to a stop before getting, you know, then trying to start from scratch again, starting from, from a, a standstill, which we all know that's difficult. So keeping that momentum between training cycles is one of the things that I think is is vitally important if you have bigger, longer term goals that you're working towards. So again, it's it's a it's a bit of a delicate act. It's a bit of a a balancing act between what's too much and what's you know the right amount for base building and maintenance in those periods between training cycles. But not letting yourself just off the hook. And and this is easy to do if you live somewhere up north where you run a fall race and then it's like oh it's going to be cold and icy and snowy. Got to keep going. Got to figure it out whether that's running outside, whether it's getting on the bloody treadmill, whether it's doing some type of, of other winter activity, some snowshoeing or cross-country skiing or things like that that maybe isn't the same as running, but it's going to keep that fitness up there. It's going to prevent things from really dropping way back down. Um, that's that's so important for continuing to move forward towards your goals. So that was my takeaway, just kind of that, that nudge that it, it takes sometimes to keep going. And that's why I'm, you know not trying to lead this into a plug for my, my business or MK's business as well. But that's why as a coach, I really like to work with people on an ongoing basis, not just for each training cycle, because what we do between those training cycles makes as much or more of a difference in how successful than the next training cycle and the next race can potentially be. So that ongoing guidance, that ongoing intelligent training really does make it make a difference and really does pay off especially when you start to zoom out and go, where do I want to be a year from now, two years from now, five years from now in my running? It's that maintaining momentum from one training cycle to the next. And I know we only barely touched on it, but it really stuck out to me. And I kind of wanted to dig deeper, but MK got on a roll. Subject was changed and I didn't want to pull us all the way back to that. So that was my takeaway from this episode. But what about you? What stood out to you from this episode? Let me know at Diz Runs on Twitter, at Diz Runs on Instagram. Of course, you can uh, you know, shoot me an email, disruns at gmail.com. And you can also find me uh, in the show notes or you can reach me via the show notes, disruns.com slash 726 today to get some links back to the show or to get the link back to the show notes to then have the links to connect with MK photos, Cliff's notes. And obviously the comment box is there as well. You can fill something out and leave some info for me there with your thoughts and your feedbacks and your comments and takeaways there as well. So 
with that, we'll find a spot to pull this ship into harbor. Uh, once again, cannonballmarathon.com. If you want to join me in, in North Carolina this fall, October the 12th, marathon, half marathon, and 5K are all options that are available. And uh, one more th- one more time or one more thing, if you want to support the show, Patreon is a great way to do that. It is a financial support, which obviously there's other ways to support the show as well. But I uh, haven't mentioned Patreon in a while. Um, and I know I've been saying this for a while, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, I promise. Um, rolling out a few other kind of little bonuses, extras, updates for those that are, are supporting the show financially each month. Uh, a few extra incentives that are more so not just the enticement incentives, but hey, thanks for, for kicking in and buying me that cup of coffee month after month. And in a few cases now, we're into year after year territory. Um, I, I want to reward that and, and offer some more things for people that have been more ongoing than just you know helping out uh, to get you in the door and then forget about you. So thank you to everybody who supports the show via Patreon. Thank you to everybody who has supported but has had to, to drop off or change funds or things like that. I get it. No worries, no hard feelings. Your support has gotten us here and it is appreciated. And if you want to continue to support the growth of the show uh, by you know buying me that proverbial cup of coffee, helping me to, to keep taking things to the next level, taking the show on the road, which I love doing the in-person interviews, so looking forward to doing more of that and, and that funding that support certainly helps make that possible patreon.com slash diz runs uh and you can support change your your funding and and, you know add some subtract some whatever you need to do but that is the way to do it patreon.com slash diz runs so now we will officially wrap this thing up thank you guys for listening hope you enjoyed this one as always if you did tell a friend and uh until next time be well take care have a good one enjoy your next run and we'll talk soon see you guys